Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife, the brand new sequel, uh, legacy sequel, reboot thing that continues the story of our favorite Ghostbusters and a whole bunch of new Ghostbusters, you know. It's a fun movie, and joining me to talk about it is Jason from Binge Movies, who really loved this movie. I liked this movie. I had fun with it. Jason loved it, and he shares that love with us here on this conversation today. So that is coming up in a second. Before we get to it, though, I want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or Good Pods. And, of course, if you like what we do here on the show please uh, do that rate and review thing and share the show and all that stuff. We really appreciate that. Just make sure you're subscribed, though. That's that's first and foremost, because we want you to keep hearing all the new episodes that are coming your way. Uh, you can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod, join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, and check out our Patreon, produced by David Rosen where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together from Awesome Movie Year, where, by the way, we did cover the 1984 Ghostbusters movie as the Dave's Pick episode of the 1984 season. See, I am a Ghostbusters fan. Um, but yeah, we covered Ghostbusters. It's a fun uh, conversation over there on Awesome Movie Year, so go check that out. Uh, also, a lot of stuff from my music career on the Patreon, so uh, lots of stuff to check out. That's patreon.com slash Rosen. So, with all that said, let's talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all good. Oh, good. Yeah. So, what I'm going to do here, and I'm going to leave this in, by the way, is I'm going to start with that laughter, and then we're in. We're into the episode, but nobody will know what we were laughing about. That's how this, this episode's going to start. Is that okay with you, Jason, from Binge Movies? That's perfectly fine. All right, cool. How's it going, man? It's going good. I'm in a folk phase. Uh, mm. I've my hair's growing out long. I'm I'm not bathing as much. I do. Okay. Yeah. I've I can't grow a beard. I've seen previous photos of you. You're very beardy. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I cannot do that. It just I get puberty mustache, mm. little patches, patches and, stuff like and that. wispy yeah, and yeah. oily and greasy and wiry, like a rat terrier. You know. I'll tell you, it takes work back when I used to have the beard. It, it's, it's work. It, it would hurt for like the first like month of trying to grow it. But then you get into it and it becomes a lifestyle, you know? 
What made you leave the lifestyle and become the handsome man that you are today? Well, I lost that hundred pounds and I was like, I might as well do the rest of, of the transformation, you know, <laughs> the, the next rest. day I cut my hair and then came the beard and I was like, yeah, I guess, I guess it's time. Now yeah. you're rocking mostly, you rock a lot of that five o'clock shadow, that Dolph Lundgren, yeah. that Sylvester Stallone Cobra. It's a little thick today actually, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I got to shave before I get on this plane, but, uh, you're the Colbretti of podcasting. <laughs> is that who I like? You cut I like. pizza with scissors. Everybody loves it. <laughs> well, uh, I, I got to tell you, I was just listening to your instant reaction on Ghostbusters Afterlife. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm about halfway through your episode. <laughs> but uh, it ran two hours. It's it's a two hour episode. You you had a lot to say on it, and I could tell that uh, Ghostbusters as a franchise means a lot to you. So I'm glad you're here for this one. This should be fun. Yeah, I'm surprised. I, I'm not surprised that it means so much to me. I'm surprised that this particular movie drew so much out of me emotionally yeah. uh, just because I saw the trailers and was not impressed and was even dreading several elements in the movie uh, mm -hmm. that ended up being okay to pretty, pretty good in the movie. So uh, yeah. I thought I was going in for one particular experience and I came out with a very different one. So uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'll just I'll just say at the top of the show, like I didn't like it as much as you did, but I I did have fun with it. There's plenty to enjoy in this movie, and McKenna Grace, of course, is great, and we'll talk about that along the way. And uh, the one thing I was looking forward to is Muncher because he's just the most, just one of the dumbest created creature creations I've seen in a long time, and I just thought he looked so ridiculous and. He he uh, he lived up to his premise, I think. So I, I was happy with that. <laughs> he but, was one, uh, see now he was one of the things that I was dreading, and because uh -huh. it's so obvious, it's like, well, we need a Slimer for this new generation. Right. We so, need Slimer two point yeah. yeah, and he's kind of that, but not that at the same time. And then there was one little scene with him that I thought was one little moment of a scene with him that I thought was actually pretty pretty funny. And I, I found myself laughing. I'm like, am I laughing at this muncher? <laughs> Yeah. And Am I think I the movie does a really here? good job of generating goodwill very early yeah, on its own two feet. Mm -hmm. And I've seen your letterbox review, and there's not a huge difference between where we're at. The huge difference is probably, or the difference between us is probably a little bit of sentimental value. And I think I'm probably deeper into the extended lore and world of Ghostbusters. Because there's a slight... Yeah age gap between us not much but a little bit mm -hmm. and this is the thing that i've noticed people that are like your age and above maybe liked ghostbusters they saw it in theaters you know is this huge movie and it's so hard to put it into context for younger listeners how big this movie was right pop culture wise back when we had like monoculture and stuff like that and how global it was in a time when that was kind of a novelty things yeah. didn't get this big this thing was huge and kind of organically a little bit and that was sort of it and a lot of people were like oh yeah i liked it and i whatever maybe i had some of the toys maybe i saw the cartoon man maybe i was a little too old for that and the second one came out and i was even older and i didn't really care for it whatever i'm a, like a half step behind that generation and for those of mm -hmm. us that are like a half step behind a half generation behind we just dove deep into the animated series much of which was written by michael j straczynski which was this really weird balance of like Saturday morning kid humor back before cartoons had to have educational value. Sure, yeah, yeah. And horror. The first time I yeah. ever heard the word Cthulhu 
or Lovecraft <laughs> was on a real Ghostbusters episode. Sure. That we had very little jokes. In it. And in fact, there were like parents who were writing in to ABC being like, this show is too dark. Right. Uh, which seems ridiculous now. But if you go back and watch some of those episodes, you're like, oh, God dang. And they even did a, like a weird meta episode where the Ghostbusters, the real Ghostbusters, go to the premiere of a movie about their Gozer experience, and it is the 1984 Ghostbusters that's playing on the screen. It's pretty wild. And the, char- the cartoon characters are watching the live action going, this guy looks nothing like me. This isn't how it happened. This, what is this? And they got swindled by Hollywood producers who took their story and made a weird comedy with SNL guys out of it. And yeah. in 1987, as a little kid watching an animated series that's referencing one of your favorite movies, it was it was mind blowing. That kind of yeah. meta commentary. Yeah, that's amazing. I I and that's one thing, like you said, like I don't have that connection, and I don't know why because I absolutely loved Ghostbusters as a kid. Yeah. I I don't recall though if I even watched the cartoon. Like I knew it existed. But, like, I just remember the movie, and I actually liked the second one. Um, yeah. I remember growing up, I thought it was as good as the first, and then I found out as I got older, oh, you you don't have taste if you like the <laughs> second one, you know? And I was like, I guess I'm just an idiot. But I, I loved it growing up. and But for whatever reason, it just doesn't have those kind of sentimental hooks in me. It's just a funny, good movie. Yeah. And so that kind of changes the perspective going into this thing. But you know what? Let's let's start getting into some puzzle pieces because there's plenty to talk about along the way about like what works here and what doesn't and what they uh, what they were trying to do with this as a franchise. Um, what do you think you What do you think is an inspiration here? What do you have for your first puzzle piece? First and foremost, straight off the rip, I would say uh, we'll probably touch on spoilers in this episode just oh, by sure. puzzle pieces and stuff. That's the way the show works. So yeah. if you're just listening because the algorithm has brought you here. Welcome to piecing it together. I'm a guest. Yes. That's your host. Uh, I have my own podcast. It's called binge movies, cheap plug, find it. Go. Um, I cry for two and a half hours about ghostbusters <laughs> <laughs> semi regularly, <laughs> um, full Kevin Smith territory on that one. But I, um, uh, don't listen to this. Come back yes. and listen to it after you've seen the movie. Cause Absolutely. there's a bunch of stuff they haven't shown you, uh, that I, to me worked. So, and it would work better if you didn't know. Um, my first puzzle piece is going to be the dumbest and most obvious one, which is how I always like to start, dumb and obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Ghostbusters. It's, 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 and when I say Ghostbusters, I don't just mean, yeah, there's a bit of third act, Force Awakens, we're kind of repeating, and I'll get into why that works for me here and, yeah. and why it doesn't work for me elsewhere. But I don't just mean Ghostbusters. I mean the brand Ghostbusters. The toaster from Ghostbusters 2 is in the back of Egon's workshop. Ray's right, Occult right. Bookstore is a prominent place for a actually a very well-acted, maybe the best-acted <laughs> scene Dan Aykroyd's <laughs> delivered in 30 years. <laughs> Which I think, let's be real about something here. So much of the old-timers' performance is rooted in the fact that this was, in real life, one of their closest friends who passed in Harold Ramis. Yeah. And we're, it's not that far of a leap when Dan Aykroyd is talking about Egon, he's talking about Harold Ramis. Yeah. And when these course. characters are in tears, uh, they're in tears for their, a real friend that they've lost. Yeah. Uh, who should be in this movie and can't be because he's passed. But still, I think Dan Aykroyd does a hell of a job in that scene. 
but there's more there's there's this is so complicated but there's so many critics out there that before this movie came out was like this is the stinking bloating rotting corpse of a dead franchise and it's nothing but references and it's like there are references obviously there there's two heavy-handed ones and everything else is sort of either kind of cleverly put in or is just a offhanded line of dialogue with it, with it kind of with its own twist and also in surface of the current plot. Mm. What I liked about it as a fan that maybe is a difference between you and I, and it gets that star bonus. When I say Ghostbusters, uh, Winston's fascination with Ecto-1 is not from the movies. That's from the real Ghostbusters. When he's oh, like, okay. what did they yeah. do to you? That's his real Ghostbusters character. They took all of the franchise. They took everything. They took the feeling of being a kid in 1987 or 1988 and opening your gifts that Christmas and having your very own proton pack. Right. And they turned that feeling into a movie. Yeah, yeah. And, and But not in, in, in my opinion, an overly schmaltzy, manipulative way, in a way that I think felt very organic and with a really great, strong protagonist lead character so my first puzzle piece is the brand <laughs> right the brand and, of ghostbusters and yeah. the experience of ghostbusters again i think it's generationally bound i think that you're for a slightly older generation you didn't have quite that same experience you liked the movie you watched the movie you moved on and the rest of us just went deeper into this world of ghostbusters for the next basically until turtles came out <laughs> for, the, sure, so, yeah. for the next five years we were watching yeah, yeah. ghostbusters stuff that cartoon ran from i think 87 to 92 jeez it's a one of the longest running highest rated animated series in television history globally so hmm. I, I think if you're as this movie has as much to do with real ghostbusters and the toys i mean one of the ghosts that does show up is straight out of the original Kenner toy line, the eyeball ghost. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So yeah. I think that if this is, this is a uh, Ghostbusters movie for Ghostbusters fans. So that's the first yeah. piece is Ghostbusters. All right. Well, you know, I think that's a really interesting way to bring Ghostbusters into this conversation, talking about the brand itself. And I think that's a great piece. I was going to bring this one up later, but I might as well bring it up now because it goes right along with that. I noticed you didn't mention in talking about all things Ghostbusters, the 2016 Ghostbusters reboot, yes. which I think is itself also an inspiration here. And I actually did see uh, somewhere that Jason Reitman, the director of this, of course, son of Ivan Reitman, uh, was inspired by the idea that anyone could be a Ghostbuster. Yeah. And that was a big kind of impetus to the story here. And that is what happens here. I mean, we not only uh, get this this young girl who becomes a Ghostbuster, but basically everybody. I mean, <laughs> that's just like there, there's at least four Ghostbusters by the end of this movie, yes. not counting the originals. And maybe some of the others are going to be Ghostbusters, too. It's kind of everyone gets to be a Ghostbuster. And that's kind of an extension of the messaging of that 2016 yeah. reboot. Um, and then on top of that, also, I mean another connection that I think could be made is that the best character from both of these movies is someone who is inspired, a young girl inspired by Egon. In that case, a 20 something year old girl, in this case, a 12 year old or whatever she's supposed to yeah. be. But yeah, the best character is the Egon character in both of these, just a young female Egon. Yeah. I, I didn't, I did not mention the 2016 one, not because I have a problem. Cause, cause here's the thing. 
for the hardcore Ghostbusters fans, of which I am not the most hardcore, uh, there's the Ghosthead community. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not that far along, but um, the actually uh, extreme Ghostbusters in 1999, the the animated reboot. It might have been earlier than 99 because uh, I was I was already a little bit too old by that point, but I did watch it. Um, you know, they had uh, that was the first female Ghostbuster officially. Uh, okay, because Janine was well, it would end up being a Ghostbuster in real Ghostbusters at some point, but yeah, in the Extreme Ghostbusters had the first. Uh, I think she was a witch. I think she was a Wiccan female <laughs> college student Ghostbuster, which makes perfect sense. There Our is Roland, so who was a guy in a wheelchair. There was a Latino Ghostbuster. So that's sort of the the weird thing is I think for a lot of people who checked out of the Ghostbusters culture, I guess that we're talking about the subculture. They were sort of like, well, the reason why people don't like this is because it's not all white men. And they didn't realize by that point we'd already had 20 years of non-white men being Ghostbusters in comic books, graphic novels, video games, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody ever had a problem with it. Not only that, but as you probably know, there are real local chapters of Ghostbusters fandoms. Like VFW halls of Ghostbusters where people have flight suits and they have one of the first things I looked up on early nascent internet was blueprints that somebody got who stole from Columbia Pictures and scanned online so that you could build a hero version of the Ghostbusters pack at home. And at that point, to to re re to replicate it, it was costing anywhere up to ten thousand dollars. Oh my god! Because some of those parts was just junk from the seventies that they they were. So you would, you would have to like ship stuff in from other countries to just get a little nodule to put on your pack so it could be movie accurate. And they had shot-for-shot shot photos of the scuff marks on. So if you wanted to create a particular pack, you could. And those communities were LGBTQ people. They were women. They were people of color. Because this was a fandom that's around the world. They were non-English speakers. So I think that the 30,000-foot the view of Ghostbusters fans don't like inclusion I think that was right. very, very insulting for a lot of people because when Sony didn't give a shit about Ghostbusters and they were releasing pan and scan versions of the original film on f- freaking DVD and mm-hmm. we had to beg as a community for DVD extras because they were putting them out with no special features in right. that DVD boom period we went through in the late 90s, early 2000s. It was a global fandom of men, women, just basically dorks all over the world. And so to be like, wait a minute, you're telling us we have a problem with inclusion? You didn't even want to make this goddamn movie. We, <laughs> right, we, right. All of us have been begging you. So This is all so interesting. I, I, I got to ask you because yeah. do you think, and I'm sure you would agree that the first Ghostbusters, the 1984 original, that's kind of the tops of this franchise. That's, that's, lightning, the best. In a, that's lightning in a bottle. It will never it's be perfect. recreated. It's a perfect, right. damn near perfect movie, and will go down as being one of the greatest comedies of all time. Yeah. But would you say that this fandom that you're explaining to me right now that I didn't really know exists, <laughs> like I know people love Ghostbusters, yeah. of course, but I didn't know it was that deep. Do you think it's based off that, or do you think it's more based around like the cartoon and some of this other stuff? I think it's a total package thing because I think... What the movie did and what Dan Aykroyd did, more, more so even than Harold Ramis, is there's all of these like offhanded lines of, you know, uh, in those, that year, it appe- Gozer appeared as a large and moving torb, 
Many shubs and zools knew what it was to be roasted in the depths of the slur that day, I can tell you. What does any of that mean? He <laughs> got me, man. So fans started to f- wanted to know, what does that mean? When they, when they do a uh, Tobin Spirit Guide, when they mention this, which I think shows up in this movie, uh, you know, when they reference, like, we'll look it up in the usual sources, Tobin Spirit Guide. That's not a real book. But by the late 80s, somebody had released an official or unofficial Tobin Spirit Guide where it was just, they took whatever cursory information from supplemental Ghostbuster stuff was out there and they built a real spirit guide and you'd have to mail away for it. So, it's like my Necronomicon I have in my bookshelf. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't think, I think it was like this weird subculture where people, because the original movie was about four working class schlubs. Yeah. <laughs> Even though Egon is this brilliant whatever, they end up being like uh, pest guys. They end up being rote sure. like bug guys, right? They end up being like, they're 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 in this like they're in a, a shitty part of town in this dilapidated firehouse with homemade equipment and the whole thing's DIY, right? Yes. And they're just they don't look like heroes. Harold Ramis was 40 years old. <laughs> Bill Murray looks <laughs> 60. Winston's yeah. just a guy off the street who just needs a job. You know, mm-hmm. Ray's childlike, but they're still like they're just they're covered in slime and shit and weird stuff all the time, and oh, they're smoking yeah. cigarettes, and they got your five o'clock shadow. Yeah, it just it it brought something across to you where there's all this sort of weird, deep, occulty, sci-fi, horror, Lovecraft kind of lore. It's just at the edges of the movie, and then in the center frame is just anybody's, and I think yeah. that's that connected with people, and I think the cartoon took that spirit no pun intended, and extended it for people. Yeah. And so I think people were like, I, I I guess what I'm saying is the Ghostbusters fandom was 20 years ahead of Hollywood going, anybody can be a Ghostbuster. Sure. Is yeah. All you have to do is have a fascination with the macabre <laughs> and a weird sense of humor, and you can, right. you're in. And I also think them, Kenner, selling, when they sold the Ghostbusters, original Ghostbusters toys off, off of the animated series, because that's the connection there is there were there was no official Ghostbusters movie merchandise other than T-shirts and hats and stuff like that, posters. The only official merchandise was the cartoon, thus sort of making the cartoon like roughly canon in a weird way. And right. what they gave you was, you didn't know you were going to get this deep dive. <laughs> no, this is some interesting stuff, What man. they gave you was a card that was like from the Ghostbusters headquarters in New York that now that you had your proton pack, you had a license for a unlicensed nuclear accelerator. <laughs> the 80s were some fucking wild times. It was wild. And you, <laughs> your parent would fill your name and your address out on, and you would put it in your wallet or whatever you had as a kid, and it was a Ghostbusters license. You're in. You're officially mm. a Ghostbuster now. Yeah. And as a kid, watching that movie, all you wanted to do was go on these like scary adventures with these guys, and now you could. And they also put this little thing out that was like, this room is now protected, or this closet actually is now protected by the Ghostbusters. So if you I were use a, that. Yeah, if you were a little kid and you were afraid <laughs> of what was under your bed, or you were afraid of what was in the closet, the Ghostbusters would protect you. And yeah. uh, so that's what this movie's like tapping into, basically, is like, so the whole concept of um, we're going to make a movie that's about queef jokes and Papa John's tie-ins. And it's going to look absolutely hideous. 
and we're going to take five women who are very funny and just give them very unfunny lines and beat for beat kind of repeat the same movie but totally miss everything about it and it's just going to be very ugly to look at and we're going to blame you for not liking the references i think that was very like and also didn't help that two years before the movie came out there was a sony leak where amy pascal basically said um these guys are too old to be ghostbusters nobody cares about old people nobody cares about this franchise we need cool young hip dance numbers and aliens and and all that shit came out, and it immediately turned the fan base off because mm. even deeper, in the late 90s, again, early days of the internet, Sony showed up to a trade show with a poster for Ghostbusters 3 saying it's in pre-production. That movie never arrived. So we, for 25 years, have been hearing about Ghostbusters 3. Right, right. And even Sony was like, we're working on it, and it never came to fruition. And then Harold Ramis dies, and within days of his death, that's when they announced they were doing a reboot. Right, right. I mean, I don't mean, I don't mean like metaphorically days. I mean, it was like five days after he was dead. They came out and said, we're doing a reboot and none of the original cast is going to be in it. It was like, they did everything they could from a marketing perspective to turn off this global inclusive fan base who had been keeping this thing alive based on nothing but uh, obsession <laughs> yeah. for 30 years. And uh, then the movie was not very good on top of that. And it really squandered the talents of all of those women who I think are really funny. And I think could be in a really great Ghostbusters movie. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe we'll see him again. I hope so. I, I, I just would like it to be funny. I, yeah. <laughs> and not, I mean, have, I, not have as much I, product placement. I'll defend it. I, I liked it. I thought it was pretty funny, the, the 2016 Ghostbusters, but I also kind of just put it on equal footing with this one, personally. Like, I just think they're both enjoyable movies without that connection to, to the original. And this one, I think, more so leans on that connection. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's kind of the big difference. But we have just gone down a rabbit hole now, hang, of hang Ghostbusters on, that on. I did not know existed. This movie does not have <laughs> Slimer, nor does it have Slimette. Ah, uh-huh. there so, was a Slimette. You don't remember that in the 2016 Ghostbusters movie where a female Slimer appeared with a fucking wig and the two of them no. stole the Ectomobile because they were going to go on an offshoot adventure series of films, Slimer and Slimette? That sounds awesome. I want that movie. That sounds terrible. And I can't tell if you're being serious or ironic. I'm, I'm not being serious. That is an absolutely <laughs> garish looking, hideous looking color palette of a movie. And uh, is just, it's not like the worst movie ever made. To me, though, that was definitely, definitely felt like, let's get a bunch of talented comedians and comedic actresses and um, let's cash in on this name with almost no yeah. connection or affiliation whatsoever. And it's just weird to me that there's all these like think pieces of how this is, this is uh, exploiting a dead franchise when that one uh, equally or more so did the same things. It's very odd. Oh, I think that's, I think that's very fair to, uh, to criticize those critiques because yeah, I, I, to me personally, it's kind of the same thing. Whereas a lot of these these critics, I don't know why they are just they have such vitriol for this movie. They just I don't really get it. hate. Uh, yeah, they really hate everything about this new one, and I definitely <laughs> don't get that at all. No, and, um, and and as we record this, audiences are not having that experience. 
Oh yeah, everybody loves this. Like every regular <laughs> normal person loves this. So movie. it it almost feels as if it's like a boomerang to I hate to say this because it's a fucking Ghostbusters movie. And and don't get me wrong, there is toxic misogynistic people out there, yada yada, women can't be Ghostbusters, 100%. That exists. Yeah. I don't think that's like a principal part of the fandom of this movie or whatever. I think it's a disservice just to be like, well only men like Ghostbusters. That's a fucking lie. I told I told the story on my own podcast. I saw for the 25th anniversary, something like that, a re-release of the 84 print when they remastered it in mm -hmm. theaters. And it was the first time I ever got the chance to see it in theaters. And it was a mostly full but not completely sold out showing. It was kind of later. It was around Halloween time. Uh, actually, no, it was summertime because it was right around, this would have been like 2014 or something along those, those lines. Um, and a dad... And his daughter were watching the movie in front of me. And after the movie was over, you know, uh, it's got the very triumphant ending. And the dad gets up and he, the little girl gets up, he turns around and he goes, was that your first time seeing it in theaters? And I was like, yeah, because I wasn't quite old enough when it originally came out to see it in theaters. I was like, yeah, first time, man. It was great. It plays, it plays like gangbusters on the big screen. And you're like, it's like you haven't fully seen the movie because it was a movie imagined for a giant screen. I saw it on the big screen once or twice for sure. Yeah, it played. It, I don't mean. Would you agree that it plays even better oh, in on a giant absolutely. screen? Definitely. Yeah, and the Elmer Bernstein score, which is fucking amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just everything. So I'm like, your first time was like, no, my dad took me when it originally came out. Yada yada yada. And I was like, so is this her first time? You know, this five year old little Muppet. And he's like, oh, no, this is her favorite movie. She's the one that brought me here. She wanted nice. to see it. And she turns to me and she's like, I love Ghostbusters. This is my favorite movie. And I'm like, well, what's your favorite part? She's like, I just love the, the ghost and the Ghostbusters. I want to be a Ghostbuster. And that wasn't a weird experience. It was just like, yeah, you know, it, so here's a little girl. And that's anecdotal. But my entire life I've been surrounded by every person imaginable who loved this movie and wanted to be a ghostbuster and had went out and bought flight suits and proton packs and built them themselves and converted their personal yeah. cars into ecto ones. Yeah. So it's just so strange that they would like, though it's, it's like a, it's like a conversation without context that's been happening. That's really about bigger issues in society. Sure. That for whatever reason has latched itself onto a, comedy and now a family comedy sure of, that is basically and here's my second puzzle piece a live action pixar movie yeah and i even right. tweeted this if this was a fucking pixar movie the critics would 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 not be bitching about it the inclusion david of harold ramus as a lamp throughout most of this movie <laughs> yes which, which was sounds so stupid but it is so thoughtfully and touch t done in a thoughtful, touching, and funny way at times. And then McKenna Grace, who is the star of this movie, who is so awesome in every scene, every line. She's just more McKenna Grace as a Ghostbuster moving forward. Which, if you would have told me this movie is about a little kid who learns to become a Ghostbuster and then the ghost of Egon helps her, I'm like, this is a fucking terrible idea. Terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> But it is awesome <laughs> because she's so good. The movie has so much heart and it has, I it has to have been inspired at least in part by Pixar films. And 
when he does fully make his appearance as Egon, uh, it's probably the best use of that kind of deep fake recreation of a character I've ever seen in a movie. It's definitely better than Grand Moff Tarkin in Rogue One. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just so touching. And it feels like it's straight out of a Pixar movie. Sure. Again, I think you take this bizarre culture war conversation that's been applied to this franchise, which doesn't it is not appropriate to have that conversation in. And you just watch it for what it is. You're like, this is a Ghostbusters movie if it were Pixar. <laughs> right. And I, I think that's a really interesting piece to bring up because uh, I, I hadn't like thought about it specifically, including Pixar on this list. But this movie, I, I definitely think part of the drive of telling this particular new Ghostbusters story is to make a certain group of 30 to 50 year olds cry. Which yeah, is oh yeah. what every Pixar movie is. Like, yeah. that is kind of the thing. Every time a Pixar movie comes out, it's like, yep, they got me. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done for. For the next, like, yeah. 12 hours, I'm going to be crying. And, and that's kind of, I feel like that's something that is really connecting with a lot of people who watch this movie. They're like, yeah, I, I, I had fun, and I cried, and I love it. Yeah, a mutual friend who's been a guest on uh, your show, this person who originally connected us, the Lady Juan from Screen Run, she mm -hmm. saw it in her theater and she was like, I, I clapped, I laughed, I cried, I was scared. Yeah. And, all, and her point was all in one movie. And she's like, I don't know the yeah. last time that happened in a movie. Yeah, and I would never expect that out of Ghostbusters, but that is where they went with this Ghostbusters. Yeah, and I think the best way to understand this movie and this is, we're really now spoiling the movie, but I think the oh, best yeah. way... Oh, yeah, spoil, spoil away. <laughs> the original Ghostbusters open up with the same beat. Something spooky happens, pan on somebody's face, you know, do, 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 builds up to, boom, the ghost appears through the no-ghost symbol, Ghostbusters, and you're back in the thing, right? And then even yeah. the, the 2016 one did the same thing. Cartoons, that's always, that's the thing, right? That's like the James Bond opening equivalent of Ghostbusters. They don't do yeah. that at all here. Yeah. And you don't get that until the end. Because, and I think, I, I think we are in a world now where people are the least media discerning they've ever been. <laughs> it's like, do you not, can, you not understand, can you not follow visuals? Are you so used to Marvel movies that you need everything quipped and explained to you? Because mm. the reason why we don't get it in the front is because this is not a... Ghostbusters in New York or busting ghosts or a new generation learning to bust ghosts. And I've heard complaints that there's not enough ghosts in this Ghostbuster movie. If that's not really what this movie is about, you know, it sounds weird to say it as a Ghostbuster movie. The movie ends up in that place. It's a afterlife of the Ghostbusters. When Ghostbusters is dead and gone, in particular, when Egon is dead and gone, what happens after that? Right. And then that story, which is almost like a tangent story, then reconverges with what's ostensibly Ghostbusters 3. It reconverges into the, the main... It's a story in the same universe that reconverges directly into the main continuity when the original characters show up. And then we get the Ghost... So the whole movie is almost a cold open for the next Ghostbusters. The continuing adventures yes. of Ghostbusting. Now that yeah. these two generations have been brought together, right? right. The, the younger generation, the old guys who presumably some of them are going to be in it going forward. 
seems to be they're, they're pretty heavily included and i not only experienced that on the screen i experienced that in the theater because you're right 30 year olds and 50 year olds were sobbing but also i was in a theater full of kids kids of color young girls and they were there for this movie they were clapping. They were jumping out of their seats. I was jumping because they were jumping. They were yeah. laughing at the jokes. And when the legacy character showed up, the young people were applauding and going, yeah. And yeah. when the new kids, the, the new cast was when podcast and whatever, we're doing funny Phoebe and wherever we're doing funny shit, the old people were laughing. So that's Four a, quadrants. Yeah, it fucking it worked. It's a multi generational story that, at least in my theater, and seemingly on Rotten Tomatoes and the <laughs> internet, is connecting with people. Sure. So, I, yeah, it's just which is by the way, like you said, that's what Pixar does. Right. Exactly. It's, it's the movie yeah. you can take your kid to that you're going to be crying when Mister whatever his name is Bebo B or whatever from Inside <laughs> Out when he. When he saves her and disappears, your dad's going to be sobbing and your mom's going to be sobbing and you as a kid are going to be having the adventure of a life. And Right. I, David, we grew up in the 80s around there. That's just what movies used to be. <laughs> sure. Pixar's sure. the only one that's kind of still doing it. But like when you went to see an Indiana Jones movie, that was kind of, it was giving you three or four different emotions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You were yeah, thrilled. You used to get a lot of everything <laughs> yeah. in there, for sure. Yeah. So it's just so strange to me that uh, people are, are not getting what this movie's going for. You love Pixar. What, why, when it becomes live action, is it just because it's IP? I, I don't know. I, it doesn't make sense mm. to me. Yeah, I'm not sure, but uh, I, you know, a lot of that is a good setup, I think, for my next piece here, uh, which is the 2018 prequel, sequel, reboot thing of Transformers, Bumblebee. Yes. Uh, which yeah. I think kind of gets a lot of that same vibe going on. Uh, you know, nostalgia for the 80s. Of course, this is kind of nostalgia for the 80s and the 50s, it kind of feels like, <laughs> just because it's like this small... 50s town yeah. inexplicably uh in the in the middle of current uh America but also you know anchored by this charismatic teen star you know with uh Haley Steinfeld and Bumblebee and McKenna Grace here in in uh Ghostbusters Afterlife but they both kind of bring new life and new energy into this franchise that both are staples of the 80s and both are kind of being brought back to that feeling to kind of bring things forward yeah, and I think that they both are borrowing from my next puzzle piece, which is Amblin movies. Sure, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, even the warm glow, the sort of orangey tint of it all, Bumblebee did that. Uh, yes. Which, I think, I, I think Bumblebee is a pretty great film, minus John Cena. I don't know what the hell he's doing in that movie. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you got rid of him or his character or whatever, I think it's really great. I think it's obviously, like, this is a very low bar, I think it's the best Transformers movie ever made. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, and sh and there's actual like uh, there's a novel idea characters in the movie, <laughs> mm. and and it's again it's both those things like you said are harkening back to that Amblin entertainment era of the '80s, both in its animation sense, like the Don Bluth animation, and its live action sense of like Goonies and things like that. Et where yeah. 
you're going to have a flawed mom, probably divorced uh, mm. or something, smoking cigarettes. You, you hark it back to that, that scene in E.T. where they're like trying to play board games and D. Wallace is like smoking cigarettes and like struggling with the bills and like how are we going to make it with now that your deadbeat dad's gone and like kids are cussing and <laughs> they seem like real people at least in the real the the reality of the world the movie's presenting and right. things are a little there's like a, there's like a, a real world sort of grit and lived inness to those kids and even when we get into like goony stuff which is just like high fantasy um obviously if you name a kid podcast that's data. That is mouth. That is chunk. That mm -hmm. is straight out of a Goonies movie. If Goonies sure. was happening in 2021. Yeah. And absolutely. If you're worried about podcasts, uh, well, let me ask you, what did you think about podcasts since you were tweeting vicious, vicious hate tweets about podcasts before you saw the movie? I, I, I never tweeted any vicious hate tweets. About you took a, you took a young Asian boy down on the internet. <laughs> I don't think I would never start a movie. Logan. <laughs> Kim. Actually, actually, when you tweeted about podcast, uh, I, I was thinking to myself, either this is a typo or there's a kid who has a podcast in this movie. What, yeah. what, what are the two? happened yeah. uh but yeah no i i had no, no idea about this kid that that he was going to be in it he's he's charming as hell what can what what can you say about podcasts and it's his first role i believe yeah he's never been in a movie before uh, i don't Amazing. know he's been anything before and you're yeah. just like this kid's straight from 1987 like you you know what you get you know what you get from watching this kid is that this kid watches a shitload of movies yes that, that that's what i got watching him like yeah. this kid has seen every one of those amblin movies this kid has <laughs> yeah. seen everything that's come since that is inspired by amblin movies like he he knows kid adventure movies yeah and he is this is so much of this is so weird if you're not elderly like like we are uh, yeah sure he's Corey feldman but kind of less annoying but but here's right. the thing Corey Feldman was a great kid actor. Yeah. I know. He was a great kid actor. Was he River Phoenix? No. Mm. But you go, you watch a Friday the 13th part four. Yeah. And he's great in that movie. Uh, the older he gets, at a certain point, there's a drop off. You watch the original Gremlins, and he just comes off as a real child in a real world interacting with these Mogwai, or a Mogwai in particular. And his scenes between him and Gizmo are incredible. And that's all on probably the strength of Dante's direction, too. Because the rule of thumb is if a kid's good in a movie, then that director was typically good at directing children or knew how to communicate with kids. Uh, I, he's got some sort of... And McKenna Grace is the same way as Phoebe. They feel um, they're... They feel like real kids in a movie sense, if that makes any sense. They don't feel like sure chill. They don't. They don't feel like uh, like the kid, like the kids from like Blank Check or something. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> or, or you know, even some of like the Macaulay Culkin Home Aloneness of it all. They don't feel like that. They certainly don't feel like uh, the Nazi who's in uh, Home Sweet Home Alone. No, no. Where it's just like this is just <laughs> an adult. This is a child who's pretending to be an adult, pretending to be a child. Right, right, yeah, yeah. In a, in a, <laughs> in a true abomination of a franchise. And we've already had three other abominations in that franchise. 
Yeah, it's it's majority <laughs> uh, abomination that franchise. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we're, we've got a much better average here with Ghostbusters. For I, sure. I would agree. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah I I think Amblin's definitely up there, bouncing off of what you were saying for sure. Yeah. And we've gone on a lot of tangents here, so I'm going to kind of just gloss over the fact that, of course, Stranger Things and It are on my list, but, you know, those just go right along with Amblin and yeah, just yeah. thing current things inspired by that whole vibe. And uh, I think was, every, everybody knows this was inspired by Stranger Things. I mean, there's no question. I I thought, based on the trailers, I would have been like, yeah, Stranger Things all the way, Finn Wolfhard, whatever, kids on a bike, yada, yada, yada. In the actual context of the movie, though, other than kids having an adventure, which, again, Stranger Things didn't event, invent, it's just what kids' movies used to be going back to the right. 50s, going back to, like, the old-school Disney live-action movies that nobody talks about because they're all terrible. Uh, mm. <laughs> that's just what family entertainment and kids' entertainment used to be of kids going on adventures. I mean, Don Bluth made a movie about Jewish immigrants fleeing anti-semitism but made them mice for a very specific reason uh but set them as like immigrants coming into a very hostile racist united states <laughs> at the turn of wild, the man. turn of the century <laughs> and the whole movie is about this little mouse who's too young to survive on his own who's a little russian jewish mouse who is sold in child slavery and goes works goes to work at a sweatshop and is just trying to get back to his papa. And like that's what movies used to be. We're going to take a child. We're going to put them in very dark, precarious situations. Mm. <laughs> Even if they're an animal or a real-life person or a cartoon person. And we're going to do a bunch of scary shit about how evil the real world is. Yeah. And put a little bit of hope in there at the end. And we're going to terrify you. We're going to kill the mom, kill the dad or separate them or something, and we're going to make evil child trafficking villains, and we're going to directly try to kill kids, and the villain in this movie uh, directly tries to kill multiple children. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, yeah, Stranger Things, but Stranger Things is a pastiche of the 80s. So It is. It is. And I, and I think that that kind of uh, proved that this can still work though. Yeah. And so that, yeah. that's, that's, you know, that's where it kind of comes back around on that. I would say actually another thing I had thought of, um, that kind of, uh, plays with some of those same ideas would be Shazam, uh, which, uh, you know, the DC movie Shazam, which, you know, bringing all these like ancient secrets and, you know, yeah. monsters and all this stuff into the world of kids movies, which you don't really see those two things collide too often in movies, especially since the eighties. That's a really good pull for a second. I thought you said Kazam, no. <laughs> <laughs> which would, it would be awesome if that movie inspired this. <laughs> I was like, wait. Shaq and that <laughs> one kid who was in all the bad kids' movies. Uh, but no, Shazam, yeah. Yeah, Shazam does that too because at one point, like, doesn't one of the villains just, like, bite a guy's head off in, in a non-venom yeah. way? Yeah. And you're just like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, wasn't this, like, G a second ago? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. That's a, re that's a really good piece. I, I, so I think in general, I think what we're saying is is that I was, I was, there's a generation of people like us who are coming of age as filmmakers who, as Lucas and Spielberg, were hearkening back to the stuff of the 50s. Mm. We're now hearkening back. And yeah, there's there's the obviousness way of doing it, which is just the nostalgia porn aspect of it. But there's another way of sort of going, now, just like Indiana Jones is getting back to what adventure serials were 
but modernizing mm-hmm. it a little bit. What if we got back to like putting kids in peril? Kids with right. a mystery who are put in peril. That's a great way to tell a story. I, I as a yeah. Ki- as, yeah, as a kid, uh, I want to watch movies of kids like me on adventures, and adventures need to have peril. That's what makes them yeah. adventures. Otherwise, well, yeah. they're, they're just situations. Yeah, peril and stakes are yeah. important, and I think that that's something we are really, really losing with you know yep. the prevalence of superhero movies yeah. right now. I mean. There are, what are the stakes in something like Eternals? Like when any, everybody is completely invincible and completely immortal. And it's yeah. like, nobody is in any kind of danger at any point, any kind of real, like palpable danger. And they're robots. Yeah. Basically. They're robots are not real. And their like, memories it's... are stored on a hard drive in space so that if they die, if their bodies die, which is very hard to do, you just give them a new body. Superheroes have a real problem going forward. I think I think the multiverse stuff, it's gonna kind of fall flat on its face because when you take out all stakes yeah. and all you know, like where anything could just be undone or redone or whatever, it's like you, you really start to lose something story wise. I, I think what's interesting is we're gonna ha- we have two Sony properties coming out a month away from each other. One is a Ghostbusters reboot and one is a Ghostbusters soft reboot slash Ghostbusters 3 in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and then we've got a Spider-Man movie that uh, is going to be so filled, I think, with Spider-Man, Sony, IP, nostalgia. Even nostalgia for stuff that's five years old. And I wonder when you just, like you said, when you introduce a multiverse, okay, Tony Stark's dead, but there's 50,000 other Tony Starks, so who gives a shit? Like, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it ruins everything. Yeah. It, it doesn't, it, like, he doesn't, like, it doesn't even have to be Robert Downey Jr., because in this universe, Tony Stark looks like David Rosen. So David Rosen's Iron Man now. So basically, mm. you just recast any role at any time and just be like, ah, oh, he's from a different universe. And anytime comic books have, done that it does it does exactly what you're saying when the comic books themselves did this they eventually have to have a crisis event of some kind to destroy the multiverse and bring it back down to earth because there are no stakes it doesn't matter it just is a convoluted mess and it's going to be interesting in a month's time comparing these two movies of going okay who who handled nostalgia and continuity and stakes better right and i'm gonna guess i'm a homer for Ghostbusters, but mm. I think the subtle, the thing that may go unnoticed is I think this one's going to do it better. Interesting. Well, let's go on to some more pieces here. What, what do you got for your next piece? My next piece is junk food. <laughs> there was a whole subplot, in the two subplots with Egon in the original Ghostbusters movie that got cut. Uh, one was he was obsessed with junk food, and there mm. are remnants of it that remain of the scene where Venkman's like, you know, Ray, if my calculations are correct, then we have a, a good chance of catching and containing a ghost indefinitely. And Venkman stops and he goes, wait, are you serious about this whole ghost catching business? And he's like, I'm always serious. <laughs> and he pulls out mm. a crunch bar and he's yeah. like, you, you, and he pulls away from, no, you deserved it. You've earned it or whatever. Which is like, a, it just seems like a weird Bill Murray-ism that he's doing. It, it was the beginning of a whole subplot of him every time we were supposed to cut to him he was supposed to be eating junk food and it's still kind of in there it's just not drawn attention to he's eating cheez it's he's got the big thing of popcorn when vince clortho 
aka Lewis Tolley, aka the Keymaster, shows up. Uh, obviously, the Twinkie scene, uh, so forth and so on. So uh, this movie loves junk food from the '50s greasy burgers, which you say that's sure. kind of weird. It's just because you're in Vegas. I I'm in walking distance of a Midwest thing that looks just like that, only it's from the '30s. Really. <laughs> And um, it's just car hops all year long. Car hops. Wow. Uh, Swenson's Baby, Galley Boy, number one burger in America as voted on multiple burger contests. Wow. Uh, Yeah. So I got to come visit. (laughs) I am. Yeah. Sunny Tropical Akron, Ohio. Just come. Um, (laughs) I am. Yeah. I'm right. Seriously, I could could be there in eight minutes walking. So I just think you live in like a, a, not the Midwest, basically. Yeah, I guess so. Those yeah. places still exist. I could take you to Dariettes all over Ohio that look just like that. <laughs> well, to your to your puzzle piece here, just calling junk food a puzzle piece. I mean, junk food is a staple of the eighties, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Like you know, so it's like that just all goes back to and, and I know that you want to kind of distance the movie a little bit from the nostalgia that some of the critics are saying, but Junk food is a big, big thing when it comes to looking back at the 80s. This movie is definitely nostalgia. It's just not all nostalgia, like the critics are saying. So, uh, yeah, from Ecto Cooler, High C Cooler, to the Ghostbuster cereal, which was low-key terrible, uh, to um, the Crunch Bars, the Twinkies, which the Twinkie is the most heavy-handed of... There's two heavy-handed references, callbacks in the movie, I think. That's one that's like, we just stay, the camera focuses just about three seconds too long on the Twinkie. We get it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one's Who You Gonna Call. That felt shoehorned in. Uh, but my whole theater laughed. I was I groaned and everybody else laughed. So I'm like, well, I'm yeah. an idiot there. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, on and on it goes. But yeah. And the movie, this movie in a weird way is like dinosaur nuggets or something where it's like, it, it, it's just food enough we're so starved for on a, we, we're living on a steady diet of like cheetos and cheese puffs in these superhero movies that when somebody comes along and is like here's a chicken nugget you're like oh your body goes That's food this is close to food <laughs> yeah <laughs> there are characters in this it may be shaped like dinosaurs right but it's actually there's actual like amino acids and, and proteins in yeah. this, so I have to absorb this, and that's I like it. Yeah, that's what this movie is. It's uh, it's Dino Nuggets in a world of junk food. So this is actually a really great segue into my next piece, which really just has to do with the Stay Puff, Stay Puff Marshmallow Man scene in the Walmart. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I thought of the Seth Rogen comedy Sausage Party, um, just the really. <laughs> dark comedy of it so all dark. of just those those little stay puff marshmallows which by the way yeah. and i heard you guys talk about this on your podcast how it just did not look good in the trailer at, at all it looked all. i was like what are they doing this looks awful yeah. it's maybe my favorite scene of the movie though it's so good the way that they are just gleefully killing themselves in just continuously more horrific ways and uh, yeah, it totally kind of resembled like the craziness of Sausage Party. You're right. And the thing is, come to find out the reason why it looked like shit in the trailer, and it did. It was like, oh my God, what the yeah. fuck is this? This isn't Ghostbusters. Ugh. Um, is because they saved the punchline for the movie. 
Right. Which to right. me, I said on our instant reaction, I a hundred. This is my head cannon now. I hundred percent believe this. They're like, well, porgs are popular. We need our porg. And I just like Jason Reitman or and the writers of this movie are like, oh, we'll give you, we'll give you your cute little mascot, legacy, whatever character. We'll give you your baby Yoda. They're going to be murderous and straight out of uh, Army of Darkness because right, that's right. what these creatures are. They're the little ashes. That are like got running with the fork and are stabbing him in the foot and yeah, that's their these evil malevolent creatures who are graphically murdering each other with a smile on their face the whole time. <laughs> yeah, who yeah. like want a hug so they can murder you, right? Yeah, like they're like, oh, give me a hug, and like they're just like straight up evil. And I, yeah, it was a delight. Wonderful, absolutely. Which is wonderful. the big, probably the biggest 180 I've ever done in anything in a movie ever. Where it's like the marketing <laughs> yeah. was like, I was dreading their appearance, yeah, and just hoping it was brief. And the other thing, it is they only show up basically twice, and it's it's great both times. Yeah, if absolutely. anything, I was like, damn, I think they, I kind of want a little bit more of these guys killing, trying to kill people or something. <laughs> I think it almost needed to go more gremlinsy, where I would have loved to see. Maybe a Walmart, this is terrible, David. Maybe a Walmart employee, even in the background, running past the aisle that Paul Rudd's in with the, the marshmallow guys like wrapping his tie around his neck, trying to mm. choke him. He's like, ah! <laughs> like, I'd go, love it. Go more evil dead with it. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. That would definitely be great. What do you got next? This is my final one because I know we're going long and I went deep into yeah. lore and whatever. You and sure did, but. I'm, <laughs> I'm finishing it up with my heart. This my final okay. puzzle piece of this is my heart. And I I mean that for I think Ghostbusters fans all around the world where I think if you are I don't want to make it seem like this is only a movie for hardcore Ghostbusters fans. I do not own a proton pack. I have not converted my car into an Ecto-1. I have I don't I don't I'm not a part of any yet. Yet. I am not yes. a part of the <laughs> Cleveland Ghostbusters or Akron Ghostbusters. These these things exist. Uh, I'm not. I don't go to fan conventions. I've never cosplayed in my life. And if that's your thing, I'm not. No shade, no judgment, whatever. Everybody's got their own stuff. Um, so I'm not that far into it. Um, I watched a documentary called Ghost Heads, and I was actually kind of embarrassed for some of the people that were in it because <laughs> yeah. they their whole life is nothing but Ghostbusters. I'm not that way. Um, but I am a big fan of this. And before 2016, when Harold Ramis died, I just said, that's it. Don't make another one. Leave it alone. There was a video game that was very, very popular that for a long time was basically Sony was like, there's your third movie. And ironically, it brings in Evo Shandor or whatever. It's a pretty good game. Uh, it's probably 15 years old now. Mm. It's still available. They did a remaster that's not a real remaster. It's available on consoles. You get to be a Ghostbuster. There's more lore and all this sort of stuff. There's elements of that video game in this movie. And it brought all the original cast back for the cutscenes. And, and it's the last appearance of Harold Ramis as Egon. It's nothing else. Go find the cutscenes on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And that was going to be it. That was it. That was like, okay, this 29, 20, 2009 game, I think. That's it. Like, we'll just stop. Just don't. Maybe make a cartoon yeah. out of it. Just leave it be. Harold's gone. One of the Beatles has died. Uh, when he died, I remember there was a tweet that went viral. It was like, you, you guys don't get us for a certain generation of us. It was like a pop culture writer or whatever. He was, it's like, it's like one of the, one of the Beatles died for the first time. Right. And that's how it affected 
so many of us. Uh, so them just steering into it, addressing it, making him still as much as you can, a major player in this movie, a major character, somehow capturing the sensibilities of Harold Ramis as Egon as a lamp. I don't know how they did it, but I feel like they mm. did. <laughs> um, I just think it's like, this is a, a love letter to the fans. And I think it's the, I think that they figured out somehow, again, for that half generation behind you, what this means to us. And they made a movie based on what it means to us. Uh, and that is very hard to do to capture a sentiment of a population in a film and still be a coherent story. It's very, very hard to do. So yeah. yeah, the final puzzle piece is my heart, just heart in general. It's very clear that Jason Reitman has a deep fondness for this world, these characters and his father's co-creation. So for sure, for sure. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll go to my last piece then, and uh, you're going to hate this one. Um, because, <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, and, and I don't know, I, I, just, I just had to make this observation here. Um, I'm going to bring up Batman v Superman um, as a puzzle piece here, because if you remember after Man of Steel, there was a lot of uh, complaints that there was so much insane destruction in Man of Steel <laughs> that that was a major problem yeah, with the movie. Yeah. yeah, and so then here comes Batman v Superman, the sequel, and they make multiple points of pointing out that all of the action's happening on like an island where everybody cleared out and there's <laughs> yeah, no one there. Yeah. So. Here in the original Ghostbusters, of course, it's the middle of New York City, huge destruction happening yes. with all the ghosts and everything. And now we're out in the middle of nowhere in a cornfield for all of the destruction. So nobody's going to actually get hurt or, or damaged, yeah. really. And so it just, it kind of had that same kind of like thing of like, let's just move all of the action out to the middle of nowhere so that way nobody gets hurt in the sequel. I think that's fair. <laughs> but I also, I don't think it's so that nobody gets hurt. Mm -hmm. I think it's because you're going to get another one. It's going to be even more of a direct copy of Ghostbusters. Sure. Because they're going to go back into business <laughs> and it's going to be in New York because Ecto-1's in the firehouse. The firehouse is reopening. Containment unit's about to explode. That's where this movie leaves us off. So I think you're going to get Paul Rudd or whoever else that they get in some proton packs with a couple little kids and a couple of the old timers. I think they're going to blow the fuck out of New York. <laughs> yeah. Here's the other thing, though, David. Back to your superhero uh -huh. thing. How many times have we seen Marvel destroy New York for the last 15 years? Over and over and over. It's not again. interesting anymore. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So they're going to. Yeah. And how do you make it more interesting than the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man? So it's, it's it, at least the location change is something different. <laughs> yeah and and i will say also that's one other thing before we wrap it up here is uh as a fan of ghostbusters 2 i like that ghostbusters 2 had a completely different plot basically you know it went it, it took the ghostbusters and did something different with them this one does do the thing of ghostbusters 1 i mean there's gozer and the yeah. the, the key master and the dogs and i mean it's basically the same thing that's happening here and I, you know, like you, I, I enjoyed it and I, I, that movie is 1984 has very different sensibilities, yes. especially co comedically. Um, but plot wise, it is basically the same thing, just in a different setting. I hope if we do continue forward with the teased, uh, you know, after credit scenes and continuing from that point 
that we do take them in a very different place. Not necessarily Ghostbusters 2 way, but a totally different news story, you know? Well, the flaw of Ghostbusters 2 is that it is for it's supposed to be a joke, but it doesn't work. The idea that within five years, New York New Yorkers who are so cynical would be like, well, that, that didn't happen. Which is also a very 80s thing, yes. by the way. Yeah. But we now live in a world where most people think the earth is flat and that vaccines are going to track you. So if somebody was sure. like, yeah, there's footage. And yeah, 100-foot marshmallow man. And yeah, they got the Statue of Liberty to walk down <laughs> Central Avenue. And yeah, they saved the world twice. But I don't think that really happened. That was fake. That was fake footage. You could probably lean more into that now with, with the original two movies where New York is like, yeah, we, yeah that, that was... I don't know. I heard that was fake or I heard that was, mm-hmm. you know, the government, the CIA was behind. You could go more. Not, not that I necessarily want that, but it makes more sense now than it did in 89. And yeah, it would work now. And it, yeah, the whole idea of them having to like rebuild the business and, and in 1989, it just, it didn't work as well, but it does. Work. It's been 32 years since Ghostbusters 2. So and almost 40 since the first one. So if you're, if they're going to give us another one and it's going to be they're back in New York and they just mean the idea of Ghostbusters because I'm not sure who all would be in it, um, then yeah, I think you're going to get a very similar story as the first one of they're trying to build a business. I think that's what mm. it's going to be. But I think there's something about that formula of Dan Aykroyd's batshit insane ideas. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. real life spiritualism and whatever intermixed with the grounded Harold Ramis mundanity of just like the private sector in the early eighties. Like there's Mm, that weird contrast that I think makes that movie so special that I don't know that anything's going to be able to recreate. Cause what is David, you, you can answer this. What's private business in 2021, 22, 23, whatever. Yeah, what what is any business yeah. in 2021, you know? <laughs> right. I yeah, advertising, that's basically it. And yeah. so, yeah, which we, may we, be we're, the we're best, in a weird time. Maybe the all. best gag uh that goes kind of under is when he says that Peter is now a professor of advertising and marketing. It's like, of course he is. Yeah. Yeah, of yeah, course. Sure. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, he's the bullshit artist. He didn't believe any of this. It's, you know, <laughs> he was selling fake ghost services to people, and it just so happened that ghost ended up being real. <laughs> right. It just worked out that way for him. <laughs> yeah, it That's brought about great. the end of the world, too, but luckily they, they could the save best. us. <laughs> I'm so thankful, David, that uh, I, as much as I love Bill Murray as Bill Murray, he's not Bill... Bill Murray as Bill Murray as much as he is Bill Murray as Peter Venkman. Mm. I like that when we get when the original cast does show up, they seem like where those characters would probably be thirty some years later. And sure, you know it's 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 enough to just be like, well, Harrison Ford's here, so that's Han Solo. It's like, well, yeah, and no, just because you put a vest on a cranky old Harrison Ford doesn't make him Han Solo. Just Which, because, by, by the way, I was going to bring up Force Awakens as a puzzle piece, but I mean, you, we peppered it in there a little bit yeah. here and there. So, Just because you put a proton pack on Bill Murray doesn't mean he's inherently Peter Venkman. I assume it can only be because of the patched up relationship between him and Harold Ramis and regret uh, on Bill yeah. Murray's part for 25 years of estrangement that was all on his side that he admits. 
that he showed up to play. Yeah. And he doesn't always do that, even in some of his better movies. He doesn't always show up to play. And he did here. He showed up to be Peter Venkman at least yeah. one more time. And uh, it was great. It was great to see him again. It was, absolutely. I think we could wrap it up there. Uh, do you have any other closing thoughts you wanted to mention? I, I'll just say real quick, actually, uh, we, we barely touched on Paul Rudd. And I just want to say how much I love Paul Rudd. And I, I remember... What what was that? Uh, I want to say like 2004-ish when The 40-Year-Old Virgin came out. I remember like campaigning for that being the cast of a Ghostbusters yeah. reboot. Yeah. I, I wanted it so badly. And uh, the fact that here we are, Paul Rudd's in a Ghostbusters, even if he's not the main guy, uh, is pretty great. I think he's just, he does such an awesome job in this yeah. as being kind of the goofy side character. And he's he's so funny. He's a wholly original character too. He's yeah. not doing a pastiche of past Ghostbusters characters. He's, no. He's created something new and also distinct from other. It's Paul Rudd, but it's distinct from other Paul Rudds that you've seen. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, he's great in this. And I think the person to direct a Ghostbusters movie, if it's not going to be Jason Reitman again, uh, I'd, I'd like to see Edgar Wright take a spin on it. Hmm. That could be good. I'd love to see a see Paul that. Rudd, bring it in a Simon Pegg, Paul Rudd. Edgar Wright. I think Edgar Wright's style and sensibility would be really interesting in a Ghostbusters world. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be pretty damn interesting. I could uh, definitely see that a high energy, just crazy balls yep. to the wall yep. Ghostbusters. Yeah, go for that. Something different. Something uh, taking in a new direction. Right on. Well, I think that does it for Ghostbusters. Jason, is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners? No, <laughs> nothing, huh? Nope. <laughs> Zilch. <laughs> I guess I guess just go watch the first Ghostbusters again, huh? Yeah, yeah. Go watch <laughs> Ghostbusters '84. Give Ghostbusters two another try. I don't know. There you go. Awesome. Well, where can people find binge movies? On Twitter at binge movies, all your favorite podcast apps, and uh, yeah, just you follow us, listen to the show. We got all the other links in the show notes, and uh, if you go to our Twitter account, we've got a link tree, so you can find all the links to all the various projects, so that our our fingers are in multiple evil pies all the time awesome well jason thank you so much for uh doing the show again and hopefully we'll get you on again next year sometime yeah hopefully i'm not blathering on and crying as much on the next one so. <laughs> i'm josh bell and i'm jason harrison we co-host a podcast called awesome movie year each season, we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. We deep dive into these specific years and we pick out why they were such great years for films. We go over the biggest hits, the biggest flops, the best picture, and some personal picks, some cult classics. Years we've covered in past seasons include 1994, 2003, 1977, and 1984. And we've got all of film history to look forward to. So check us out at awesomemovieyear.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Ghostbusters Afterlife. Thanks to Jason from Binge Movies for joining me on that one. We had a long conversation, over an hour. That's crazy when these episodes go that long. But you know what? He had a lot to say, and we had a fun time talking. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. You can, of course, make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what I do here on Piecing It Together, then I would really appreciate it if you did that because we've got so many episodes coming your way and uh, subscribing is the best way to make sure that this show keeps growing 
and that uh, get to get this in front of more and more people. And I, that's just what I want to do here. So thank you so much for doing it. Uh, the other ways you can help us out, share the show. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Leave a little review if you'd like. Get in touch with me if you'd like to join me for a future episode. I'm always looking for new guest co-hosts. There's so many movies to cover, and I would love to hear from you. So uh, those are all the things you could do if you want to continue to help me grow this show. Do those things. And of course, we've got the Patreon, too. That's always nice, but, uh, you know... It costs a few bucks. I don't want you to have to spend any money. But, uh, you know, if you really want to, though, check it out. Produced by David Rosen. Patreon.com slash by David Rosen. Anyway, that does it for today's episode. Um, As those of you who have been listening for a long time know, I'm currently on an island somewhere for my honeymoon. um, But we've had all these episodes coming your way, and uh, they'll keep coming your way, most likely. So we'll see if the uh, if the scheduling features of my website work. You'll keep getting more Piecing It Together, and I'll be back soon to record some new episodes of Piecing It Together. But uh, either way, there's more Piecing It Together on the way, so don't you worry. Let's close this thing out with a piece of music. And uh, you know what? I am going to go with a track. So If you've been listening to the show for a long time, you've probably heard me a couple of times mention a short film that's one of my favorite things I scored called Croak. That's like a practical effects creature feature kind of thing with uh, these great practical gross out frog monsters. And uh, it's by a director named Matt Barrett. And uh, it's just a really fun film. And I've always loved the score I did for it. I actually collaborated with Matt on a second short film uh, a few years after that called Bumps in the Night, which did its thing in the festival circuit. And I don't, I don't think it's available to watch online anywhere. But uh, I'm going to play a little clip from the score of Bumps in the Night because I think that has a very Ghostbusters vibe to it. So this is some of the music from the short film Bumps in the Night, which I may eventually release a, uh, a soundtrack album that's more of a compilation of little bits and pieces from different films I've worked on. So this would probably end up on that. So this is, again, Bumps in the Night. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.